It is 4.20 in the morning, and I just got back to Apijon from Yamasukuro. And I think I just witnessed one of the greatest football matches in my life. It isn't that the football was great. It wasn't that the players were world-class quality. But this match was the essence of what an African Cup of Nations match should be. Hello and welcome, my name is Meher Mazahi. This is another episode of the African Five-A-Side podcast, and today we're recapping the third day of the round of 16 matches in the 2023 African Cup of Nations. As always, this podcast is brought to you by africasacountry.com, um, and I want to talk to you tonight about a match that I just saw in Yamoussoukro, the political capital of Cote d'Ivoire, uh, between Senegal and hosts of the tournament Cote d'Ivoire. So, coming into this match, Cote d'Ivoire got into the round of 16 by sneaking in through the back door. They only had three points after the group stages, and they were the final uh, best third-place team. There's four that, that qualify into the round of 16 in the AFCON in this current format, and they were the final one. They were the fourth and final one. Uh, they needed a win from Morocco uh, to get through, and that's what they ended up getting. After they made it into the round of 16, their coach, Jean-Louis Gasset, was fired. One of his assistants, Emrys Fay, was hired to become the new head coach. Some of his assistants were actually on television uh, doing consultant work throughout the beginning of this tournament. After he was handed the job, the Ivorian Federation come to him and say, actually, you know what? We spoke to Hervé Renard, so did the prime minister of the country. And we're thinking, maybe we're going to offer Hervé Renard the job. And Amherst Pai doesn't blink. And he says, all right, do what you got to do. I'm going to prepare as if I'm the coach. And he does. And they're up against the defending champions. Not only the defending champions in 2021, but... Senegal have so much momentum at all levels. They won the Chan. They won the, the under-20 uh, African Cup of Nations. I believe they won the under-17 African Cup of Nations as well. Um, they won the beach soccer African Cup of Nations. Uh, they qualified to the World Cup, and they didn't have Sadio Mane. But if they did, maybe they could have went on a, on a very far run, kind of like Morocco did as well. And then in this tournament, they have nine points out of three matches. They won every single one of their matches. The only team to do that in the African Cup of Nations. And you're thinking, oh man, the hosts, Cote d'Ivoire, might be humiliated two consecutive times. It was almost like they were supposed to be eliminated. They got through on a technicality, and now they're really going to be eliminated. That's what the fear was, really. So everything's set up. For a lot of drama. Tactically, let's talk tactics just for a quick second. Aliou Cisse goes from a 4-3-3 to a 3-4-3. And he does that because um, his central defensive midfielder, his six, his sentinel, like they say in French, Pap Gay, who's been fantastic throughout this tournament, he's injured. So if Pap Gay can't go, instead of replacing him with a player like Nampalis Mendy or Sheikhou Kouyate, which would have been a like-for-like -like substitution or replacement, um, he decides to go for a 3-4-3, sticking with two central midfielders and adding a center half. I thought that was interesting. I don't know if it was the right decision, but it's just something to note. Emers Fai, in his first match, continues with the 4-3-3 that his predecessor, Jean-Louis Gasset, played. However, he made a lot of different personnel choices. 
So Max Alain Gradel, I think he's 30, is he 34 or 36? But he starts on the left. Jean-Michel Sarri, I know he's on the other side of 30 as well. He might be 31, 32. He starts as a central defensive midfielder. Serge Aurier gets the nod at right back. Remember him and Wilfred Singo, uh, they've been alternating starting positions throughout this tournament. And he gives Odilon Kusunu, the starting center half at Bayer Leverkusen, who are top of the Bundesliga. He didn't get a look in with Jean-Louis Gasset, but he gives him a chance and he starts him as a center half instead of uh, Diomande, the 19-year-old center half that's played at sometimes, or Willy Boli, uh, the Nottingham Forest veteran that's play started other games. So Emers Faye really bets on experience. And you think that that's probably the right thing to do, right? Because coming into this match, they had just lost 4-0 to Equatorial Guinea at home. Ugh. So you're going up against the best side in Africa. You think now is a good time to really bank on experience and at least help us get through this first half relatively unscathed. And what do you know? <laughs> the worst case possible, the worst scenario possible, Cote d'Ivoire concede within five minutes. And it's Sadio Mane who looked very lively early on and late, I think, in this match. Um, he finds some space on the wing, twists and turns, gets a cross in. Habib Diallo takes the ball on his chest, hits it on the half volley, uh, straight into the roof of the net. Beautiful goal. And you're thinking, I remember I was speaking to a colleague from The Guardian right before the match, and I was saying, you know what? I have a good feeling about Cote d'Ivoire, but they have to get late into the match, either with a lead or, you know, with a draw. If I said if they concede early, the crowd is going to go silent. Their confidence, especially their fragile confidence, might be shattered. And uh, that wouldn't be a good sign. And, uh, and that's effectively what happened. You know, the life was sucked out of the crowd. Those doubts were reinforced. But just 25 minutes in, Cote d'Ivoire started to get the upper hand. Before that happened, actually, you know, speaking of experience and not making stupid mistakes, Sadio Mane goes in on a high tackle, which should have been a red card. He should have been sent off um, just immediately after the goal, after Habib Diallo's goal. Um, that was, I think, one of the first in a long string of officiating mistakes that were made in this match. Um, the Gabonese referee, uh, Pierre, uh, Pierre Acho, his name is? Uh, Pierre Gislain Acho, I think his name is, yeah. Yeah, very, 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 very poor performance. The worst in this tournament by far. So, yeah, 25 minutes in, up until halftime, Cote d'Ivoire starts to get a foothold in this game. And this is... The most impressive thing about their performance is their mental strength. Again, they're losing 1-0. Senegal get off to a flying start. In that position, if they can see the second, I think fans start insulting players. Uh, players start insulting other players. Uh, confidence completely drops, and they have no belief. But for them to even be losing 1-0 after that 4-0 loss, and for them to start coming back into this match as of the 25th minute, absolute credit for the mental strength that that takes nothing but respect so halftime uh right before halftime Cote d'Ivoire were really really pushing and I think here uh there's a few different reasons why they dominated possession number one um the center halves I thought were great on the ball 
Evan Indica, but especially Odalin Kasuna, the player that got his his chance in this match. Um, he made some defensive mistakes. Like I thought he might have gotten away with a penalty on Ismail Asar later in the match. Uh, but otherwise, he was strong in the tackle. And one thing he did really good was if he's on the ball and if Senegal were sitting off of him, he would drive forward and progress the ball and force the Senegalese defenders to commit. And then that really did a lot for uh, you know, aiding some of the Ivorian attack. The other reason why I thought they dominated possession was that their, their central midfielders were on fire again. Again, uh, Emers Faye... Benched Francesier. He plays Jean-Michel Seri in that sixth position, and Ibrahim Sangari is a more shuttling midfielder, uh, also known as an eight. And Seko Fofana was more of like in between an eight and a ten. And um, I think it worked to a charm. Great complementarity between uh, players in midfield. Jean-Michel Seri ended up being man of the match, and Seko Fofana was everywhere. It's a, I mean... It's such a strength of his that it almost becomes a weakness at times because you think he can burn himself out, you know, by the 70th or 75th minute, which is essentially what happened and he was subbed off. But when he's, you know, fresh, he's all over the pitch. He's the only Ivorian midfielder that can have that kind of creativity um, and, and he can even be a goal-scoring threat. So Seko Fofana, I mean, hats off to you again. Um... Senegal, I think, you know, we're backing up as well. This, this is big, a big part of the problem. And, and Elius, he said, I think, recognized this. He said, you know, we lost control of the game. Um, and their 3-4-3 almost became a 5-4-1 with the fullbacks dropping back and even the wingers dropping back. And maybe they were just looking to protect the lead a little too much. Maybe they scored too early. That was definitely a, seemed to be a problem um, for Senegal. And... When they did, you know, Ali Sisu said it wasn't a problem of us playing a low block. He said it was a problem of us when we recover the ball, making too many technical errors, you know, a misplaced pass, a bad control, uh, things like that, you know. Uh, and I, I think I agree with him. I think there's something to be said about the the block. I, I did mention that, you know, the, the fullbacks came back maybe a bit too far. The wingers came back a bit too far. But he's absolutely right about technical problems for... Uh, the Senegalese national team. They didn't look sharp, especially, you know, at the end of the first half and throughout the second half. Nonetheless, we're into the, you know, um, 60th, 65th, 70th minute. Cote d'Ivoire are dominating, but they're dominating with sterile possession. And you're wondering, where is a goal going to come from? And here, Emers Faye, in his first match as a real coach, or as a head coach, I should say, <laughs> uh, makes an amazing array of subs. He throws on Nicolas Pepe, Simona Dingra, Franck Cassier, and finally, finally, Sebastian Aller. And if you were in the stadium, you would see the, the reception that Sebastian Aller got. First when he went to go warm up, and then when he came back to, to be subbed on. He's a crowd favorite. They love him. They know that they need him, I think. There's nobody else um, really that can provide what he does. Him and Simona Dingra. You know, throughout this tournament... Uh, my, my colleague Alistair, he made a very good point. He was telling me that Ivory Coast front line, first of all, you know, every match it seemed like there was a different starting front three. But when they did play, they played in isolation. It was almost like, okay, Jeremy Boga, you have the ball on the wing, go take your defender one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, or it was like, you know, Jean Crasso, 
go do the same thing. Kwame, go do the same thing. Pepe, go do the same thing. There wasn't a lot of combination. There wasn't a lot of uh, interplay. Um, and I think that was a big problem. And Simona Dingra, in 15 minutes, 15 minutes, he completely changed it. He was fantastic. And Jean-Louis Gasset is probably sitting at home saying, you know, if only I had Dingra and Allaire. They really changed the match. Those subs changed the match for Cote d'Ivoire. The, the, the goal itself came from an Adingra-Alaire uh, combination. Adingra did a great job of saving the ball, finding Alaire in space. Alaire gets his head up, plays a through ball. I think Kwame touches it. Maybe Nicola Pepe's upside. I'm not sure. Um, and then <laughs> quite obvious penalty. I, I could not believe this was the probably the clearest penalty I have ever seen in my life. The goalkeeper obviously didn't get the ball. Nicola Pepe obviously got the ball. He was obviously upended by the goalkeeper. And still, uh, the, the the referee, Pierre Acho, is just waiting, waiting, waiting. If he didn't see it, he's incompetent. If he's waiting for VAR, he's incompetent. Because when he waits for VAR, the Ivorian players get frustrated and he books one of them. That booking, if you had the courage to call a penalty as you're supposed to, if you if you if you saw it and you're waiting for VAR, you need the courage to call that penalty. That booking could be erased, you know. So Pierre Acho, that's a big big problem. He him and his entire crew actually. Uh, some of the, there were a few line. The fourth referee was a woman. There was a lineswoman. There was a linesman. They were all very poor on so many different decisions and even things like messing up the numbers. You know when when players are being subbed on or subbed off. Um, so that just wanted to make a quick note about that. Anyways, it's a clear penalty. Uh, Franck Cassier comes on. Uh, he was one of the subs that Emers Faye made. He scores cool, calm, and collected penalty. Exactly what you need. I think in his 86th minute. It's crazy when you think about it that now they're going to the quarterfinals, Cote d'Ivoire, and the country is in absolute bliss and joy and happiness. And they were four minutes from being eliminated. They scored in the 86th minute. Crazy. You know, extra time I thought was a lot more balanced than, than regular time where... Cote d'Ivoire were probably the much better side. Uh, I, I didn't get a great view of much of the first half. I was, you know, weaving in and out, trying to uh, speak to Ivorian supporters. I did watch the second half of, of extra time. And again, I thought it was more um, balanced, definitely. Um, could have went either way. Penalties and Cote d'Ivoire have an unfair lineup when it comes to penalties. And Senegal have good penalty takers as well, but Cote d'Ivoire... I mean, Nicolas Pepe, Franck Cassier, um, so many good, even bon, Max Langrada, I think, was subbed off, but they have so many good, um, Sebastian Aller, so many good penalty kick takers. I loved Aller's penalty. Um, it was like a, one of those where he gives the goalkeeper the eyes, swivels his hips, goalkeeper is stuck in his spot, and his reaction was looking around. It was almost Latin-esque, you know, like, what else did you think was going to happen? Like, kind of, like, that's what he was saying to the crowd, you know? So, Alaire, great, great substitution. Great to have him back and, and great to have him at the African Cup of Nations. Um, Musa Nyakite, Nyakate, sorry, feel bad for him. He hits the post and, um, and Cote d'Ivoire win on penalty kicks 5-4. Um, for me, it was a classic, simply because of the narratives coming into the match that I explained. Um, and the reversal of fortunes, really, and the unpredictability 
of the African Cup of Nations. The African Cup of Nations doesn't like favorites. The statistic is doing the rounds, but since 2010, none of the champions have progressed past uh, or have progressed to the quarterfinals or have progressed, yeah, have progressed to the quarterfinals. Crazy, crazy statistic and indicative of the fact that this tournament is so difficult to be consistent in, you know. After the match, this was, I think, one of the best things about going to the stadium is the insight you get from being in the stadium after the match, for example. Um, you know, when the TV cuts back to the studio and you can see who's talking to who, who's celebrating how, um, it gives you a lot of insight. So I'll give you a few examples. Uh, after Senegal missed, or after Senegal lost the penalty kick shootout, Evan Indica goes over and consoles a few Senegalese players, shows great maturity. And he's been showing maturity in like playing and and off the pitch as well. Um, Seko Fofana and Ibrahim Sangare were the two Ivorians that were really pumping up the crowd that really wanted the crowd to get into it and really wanted to celebrate with the crowd. So for me, it's indicative of them, it meaning a lot to them as well. You know, them and even Maxel and Gradel. Um, Lamine Kamara, Senegal's star midfielder, just 19 years old, was absolutely inconsolable. And I tweeted this and I tweeted a video that went viral. Um, it was weird because you could see the celebrations and then you could see one Senegalese player and they were covering his face with a towel, I think, so the television cameras wouldn't, wouldn't get to him. And initially, he didn't even know who it was. I promise you, I'm not exaggerating when I tell you he was there for at least 10 to 15 minutes, crying, 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 barely walking off the pitch, maybe, maybe walking five meters a, a minute, maybe. He's just like completely inconsolable always surrounded by, you know, his teammates or his staff. Uh, even Ivorian players came to say, you know, like, keep your head up, keep your chin up. And it reminded me so much of 2017 when Sadio Mane missed a penalty in the quarterfinals of the AFCON. And he had a similar reaction. But Lamin Kamara was worse. And Lamin Kamara didn't miss a penalty. It just meant so much to him, you know. And, and on one hand, it's heartening to see that. On the other hand, your heart kind of breaks for the kid, right? But he's had a fantastic 12 months, and the coach said, you know, in the post-match press conference that he's absolutely sure that he's going to be in this position again and that he's going to win, and he's going to have, you know, achieve so many great things for his country um, in the future. Uh, but that was interesting to see how much it meant to him um, and, and the parallel with Sadio Mane, you know. Um, and then the dance party. <laughs> for those of you that don't know, there's a, a song in Cote d'Ivoire called Coup du Marteau. Uh, it's the unofficial song of this African Cup of Nations. I think it was commissioned by Orange, the, the French mobile telecom company. But it's played when it's played, people get up and they dance. And the DJ at the stadium at Yamasukro played it nonstop after the penalty shootouts. And it was just an impromptu dance party all around. The entire 20,000 people that were there, the players, the journalists, uh, everybody. Everybody was just in such a great mood. And even driving back from Yamasukro to Abidjan, like, for example, you stop at the tolls, you know, to, to pay for the highway um, and people are handing out free water. I think they do that anyways, but blowing their whistles on billboards. It says, you know, there's some electronic billboards and some screens. Bravo les éléphants. Just, man, what a difference, you know, four or five days makes in the African Cup of Nations. After that Equatorial Guinea loss, this AFCON was, you know, dead and buried for Côte d'Ivoire. And now... 
It's one of the most magical storylines in football. Anyways, that's that's the match I wanted to talk about a lot because I saw so many great, great, great things. Uh, so wow, I've already spoken about it for 20 minutes. Um, I hope that isn't too long. I didn't get to watch much of Mauritania versus Cape Verde as well. Uh, sorry about that. From what I saw, it kind of went as we expected, where Cape Verde had more possession of the ball. Mauritania kept their shape. They pressed when they needed to. They were very intense in their duels. Remember, they're leading. They were leading the competition in tackles, second in interceptions, the least amount of ball possession. Um, and Cape Verde get through on a, on a penalty kick. I thought they would have won maybe 2-0 or 2-1, but uh, quarterfinal berth for, for the Blue Sharks. What a, what a great story that is as well. Uh, hats off to Mauritania, especially their coach, Amir Abdu. I think he had them really well drilled. Um, but yeah, I can't make much more comments because I didn't really watch that match. So, so yeah, apologies that this podcast came out so late. I want, of course, I always want to post it immediately after, um, immediately after the match. But you know, there uh, the scenes there, I couldn't take my eyes off of it. And then the press conference, and then we had to hop in a taxi quickly to get back to Abidjan. So, yeah, crazy, crazy day in the African Cup of Nations again. Thanks for listening. Keep it locked in as we uh, continue to cover the round of 16. The final day of the round of 16 is tomorrow. So thanks for listening one more time. Talk to you tomorrow. Peace.